What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Boston Celtics select Jason Tatum from Duke University. Brown on the break for the Celtics. Goes around the world. Oh, the circus game in a Boston. Walker for three. Kemba Walker from downtown. Tatum drives down. Let's roll it down. Wow. Rebound. Gordon Hayward for two. Gordon Hayward with a corner crash. No block. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Bet Online. My name's Tom Westerholm, Celtics beat writer for MassLive.com. I'm joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe. Nicole, why do you hate the 2008 Celtics? I don't hate them. Every time, it's, it's just funny because every time that we're preparing show notes and we're like, hey, like, uh, we, we should talk about this. Like, you know, here's something we could talk about. You know, let's look into this. Um, and I'm like, uh, Nicole, do you want to talk about the Rondo Ray Allen beef? And you are, you're just never having it. I just, and I mean this in the most polite way possible, don't care. <laughs> it's an age thing, right? Like you just, were you just like not super cognizant like like I obviously remember the 08 championship I mean I was in middle school so I right. was not covering the league or anything I mean I guess I was on tour with a band at the time <laughs> so I also was not covering the league <laughs> I guess I I feel like I side with sort of the non-Celtics fan base when it comes to the 08 Celtics and like can we just stop talking about this again I mean this in the most polite way possible like I understand the great accomplishment that 08 team and the playoff run and the 2010 team are all great. And it did so much for the Celtics organization, all of that. Like I get why that was important, but I feel like we just are rehashing the same things. This most recent thing that you were telling me about with Perk talking about the real reason behind the Rondo and Ray Allen drama. One, Perk's probably trying to just simmer it down because I feel like the reasons this that I've like heard a, about the this drama- This is like the fifth time we've heard like a tell-all. Exactly. And I feel like the reason that I've heard is like a little bit salacious and they don't want probably that coming out. So like you can explain the actual reason. Yeah, Perk said that they thought that uh, Ray Allen wanted the Celtics to trade for Chris Ball and KG and Paul Pierce wanted to keep Rondo, which I will say to counter your point briefly, I will say that that is the most coherent version of the reason why they would want to break up that I have heard because other ones I've heard I've just been like oh you know guys get sick of each other like little things here or there and then I've also heard some of the stuff that you may have been referencing but I also think that like if it's a basketball reason that is the one that makes the most sense to me because like Ray Allen showed up wanted to win titles if he wants to win titles he wants the best players on his team KG and Paul Pierce were like, no, we already won a title. Not that we don't want to win more, but like, let's rock with this guy, you know, that helped us get there. So like, for sure. And then it makes that's sense the one why that makes the most sense to me. Yeah. It makes sense why Ray signed with the Heat. I think there's three reasons why people still kind of latch onto that team. Number one, it's the big market Celtics, but then it's also just like the impact, like you said, that those Celtics had on the current Celtics, because not only was that the only title they've won since the eighties, 
it's also that those teams then spawned the team that we're watching right now. Like it was like a pretty direct correlation between Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett being on the Celtics, those guys getting traded. And then the picks that they got in the trade for KG and Paul Pierce became the complete core of the team right now with Jalen and Jason, obviously. So I think that there is a little bit of that. I think there is some of it that's just unfulfilled potential because that team, that team could have been amazing if KG had stayed healthy. Like that team, I have very little doubt in my mind that that team would have won the 2009 championship. Yeah, I don't so disagree good. with you. So I think people are interested in unfulfilled potential. I also think when you're saying people, I think it's just Celtics fans at this point. I think everybody is pretty tired of it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. what I've seen. <laughs> that's true. I guess, I mean, but I think in general, people are interested in unfulfilled potential, though. Like, that oh, is a, I see that, that is a yeah, thing that, yeah. that is interesting. Like, yes, I, I think you're right that most people are sick of talking about the, the 2008 Celtics. But then I think the third thing that's keeping them alive is the fact that multiple of them have media jobs now. Like, well, yeah. Paul Pierce and Kendrick Perkins are going to be able to keep the, the flame alive in terms of, you know, people talking about them because they can just go on ESPN and say things. Some of the tweets that I've been seeing are like, you guys realize that Paul Pierce is a member of the media now and his goal yeah. is to get you to tune in and talk about whatever show he's been on. Yeah, he's really good at it. I mean, <laughs> that's, that, it's, uh, it's almost as good as his uh, pull-up mid-range jumper is his ability to get you mad and talking about things. Did you watch the clip when he was talking about LeBron? I think there's a fascinating conversation about comparing players across generations and eras and how people do that and how people seem to get mad. I know we just watched a 10 episode documentary that was essentially like Michael Jordan propaganda. But at the end of it, I was like, wow, like how can we compare this man to LeBron James? Right. And the one thing I will say is that Paul Pierce is wrong. I, I think LeBron James is number two on the all-time list. He's my second greatest player of all time. I mean, you know, I, I have no problem with him being like three or four, depending on how you feel about Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, all that stuff. That being said, I think that Paul Pierce has earned the right to like, you know, let him talk a little crazy. Like the dude hit huge buckets directly over LeBron. He was LeBron's biggest competitor. He knocked LeBron out when LeBron looked like he was ascending in both 2008 and 2010. I think he's wrong, but like, you know. Yeah, I mean, that argument argument makes sense. Like Paul Pierce grew up watching Jordan do all of that stuff that was in that documentary, whereas he went up against LeBron and beat LeBron and eliminated LeBron like more than one time. So it's like, I get why he might think that. I'm, I'm with you. Let's, instead of talking about old stuff, let's get into uh, what's going to happen soon because it looks like the NBA is about to come back. ESPN reported today that they are in talks with Disney World in Orlando and that they're kind of moving in that direction. And, and this time it was not just sources said, it was here's what an NBA spokesperson had to say. If the NBA itself is coming out and saying, hey, we're in exploratory talks about this, it feels like a pretty big deal to me. Yeah, so I feel like this is the first statement from the NBA since the shutdown about any sort of resumption. So I think my biggest takeaway is like, okay, clearly the chances of them coming back seem to be getting like higher by the day. I also thought it was interesting that they could have just said like engage in exploratory conversations about restarting the 2019-20 season, but they chose to include Walt Disney. Yeah as a location and so i just found make that us a better offer las vegas i am curious to see how this pans out so right now it says the timeline is they want to start late july so that would be in about two months i think the 
thing with coronavirus is it's just such a fluid situation. Yeah. Like we could be in a really different spot at the end of July, both ways, either in a good way or a bad way. Like Sirat Sohai of, of Yahoo Sports had a really good story yesterday that, that you know, interviewed a bunch of medical professionals that were just like, guys, this, this bubble thing that you guys are, are proposing is a bad idea. This is going to be really hard and people are probably going to get infected. And, you know, I, I just have a lot of concerns about it still. And, and I think that you're exactly right that when you talk about looking two months ahead into July, like right now, it's weird that everything feels like it's sort of falling back into place and going back to normal. Cause it's like, no, like infections are still sky high. Like people are still dying. A lot of people are still dying. I mean, it's a tough situation, right? Because every city is going through a different experience, basically. Like it's not a universal thing across the country. And you can see the like ramifications of that in the Celtics just asking like, okay, can we not bring everybody back to Boston? Like if we're restarting, can we just bring everybody straight to whatever the location is? So like my thing too is it's all about like the risk, right? What's the worst case scenario in this situation? And the worst case scenario is that like a player or a coach or anybody associated with the NBA like dies and usually with like worst case scenario like oh well that's not going to happen or like we can prevent that from happening or we can do things that will really like diminish the chances of us reaching that point but in this situation like i really don't think that they can i'm not saying that like oh like somebody's definitely going to die or things like that but i'm just saying like that possibility of somebody really notable testing positive contracting coronavirus and then dying there's a far from non-zero chance that that is on the table. And like the fact that they, I know they've acknowledged that we're going to have some positive tests and we're going to have to fight through that. But like, we've seen so many people die from this virus that are of the player demographic, that are of the coaches demographic, that are of executives. Like you've just seen so many people across the board and there's just so much unknown too about Mm -hmm. even a positive test. Say they don't die. People have talked about how after you contract coronavirus, your body doesn't fully recover and nobody really knows the full impact on your lungs and the rest of your body, obviously, because it's such a new virus. So I don't know. There's just so much serious uncertainty that I'm just so surprised still that they're like full steam ahead. And maybe surprise isn't right, but like, you know what I mean? I'm just like, I do. Is this right? Yeah. So two things on that. Number one, I think you're exactly right in pointing out it's about how much risk you can like what's the worst case scenario. And in most cases with the NBA, like the worst case scenario is kind of hard to like see. It's like, okay, so like put it this way. Like, okay, so for example, Gordon Hayward broke his ankle. No basketball player who jumps for a rebound or who jumps up like to catch a lob is thinking to himself, well, the worst case scenario is I come down and break my ankle like this because it's just so unlikely to happen. But that is the worst case scenarios of jumping up for a lob. The difference here is that the worst case scenario is so much, it's like so much more feasible because it's not just a a one in a trillion. The worst case scenario is just so much easier to envision actually happening. Like I a thousand percent understand why players don't like the idea of being like locked in a bubble and, and never being able to go out of it. Like, yeah, that would be really creepy. Like you would feel like really trapped. But at the same time, it's like, I think that's like, that might be the best way to protect I mean, everybody. you can't say we want the league back, but we're, and I'm not saying players, just like yeah, right. in general, you can't say we want the league back, but we're not going to create a true bubble. We're just going to, you know, do a little <laughs> fake bubble. Like th- yes. that's not helping anybody. Yeah. And that, that's not protecting anybody from anything. And that's like the whole point of this. And then the other thing I wanted to say, which I, 
so the other day, Grant Williams was talking to Celtics reporters on a Zoom call, and he said basically that he, you know, really trusts like that the NBA is going to, that they wouldn't bring players back if it wasn't safe. And they trust like the Celtics and the, and the league to protect everyone. And, and like, I think he's right. Like, I think the NBA and the Celtics and everybody, they, they want everybody to stay healthy. They want to protect everyone. But at the same time, I don't necessarily agree that the people who own the league are willing to just eat all of these losses to keep like a player's best interests in mind. I think that there is a lot of money riding on the NBA. There is a lot of financial loss, potential financial loss riding on the NBA. I mean, that's, that's why the NBA is, is trying to get itself up to 70 games because it wants to mitigate the loss from regional TV markets. They want to make sure that they can get as many, as many games as possible to try to fulfill some of their contracts. And it's pretty clear to me that they are really prioritizing fulfilling those contracts and, and really prioritizing trying to make sure that they lose as little money as possible. So when, when you're like, okay, I think that they've got our best interests in mind, it's like, I think that they care what happens to you. I, I don't know that I agree that the only thing that everybody cares about, which is, which is what the talking point of it would be, right? The talking point would be, we only care what happens to our players. Our first and only priority is making sure that everybody stays healthy. But if that's the case, then you shut it down. So I also just don't think that's a unique situation to the NBA. I think that we're never going to reach a point where it is safe. Like we just aren't. If they're going to try and reopen at some point before the end of 2021, to be honest, based on what we've been hearing from medical experts about the virus, it's never going to be truly 100% safe for the NBA, other businesses, other industries to ramp back up until much later than right Mm -hmm. now. So I get how they're in a tough situation and how they can say, like, we really care about the health and safety of our players, of our staff. And it might not seem that way because it looks like they're putting them in danger. But I feel like they can both be true because, like, at the end of the day, and it's such a complicated conversation to have because I feel like what I'm about to say is really heartless. Obviously, I don't want... And it's the fact that I even have to like say these disclaimers just shows sort of how insane of a situation we're in right now. But like, I know people are dying. I don't want more people to die. I don't want more people to worry about their health and things like that. But I also understand that people are struggling financially and that we need some sort of jumpstart to the economy at some point. We need life to go on. Like, I could not imagine if my, my mom is still working. Like, both of my parents were working parents all throughout growing up. I can't imagine if I was in like fifth grade right now, my mom had to be homeschooling me while also doing her nine to five job. That's not sustainable for a lot yeah. of families to do childcare and also do their job. And like all of this stuff just can't, we can't go on like this. So I get the need to open the economy, but then at the same time, opening the economy like puts a lot of people's health in danger. Both sides can't win, if that makes yeah. sense. So we have to be able to identify a point which is really difficult because a bunch of experts have a bunch of really good opinions, but they conflict one another and it's hard to figure out what the path is. But like, we have to find like a happy point where it's like, okay, it's safe enough to do this and it's safe enough to do this, but we still have to also abide by these restrictions and things like that. And I don't know when that point is. And the sad part is, is like, if you try it and it's the wrong point, that means there's going to be more cases and more deaths. And we're then going to have to set the economy back even further to shut down. Like, it's such a weird cycle. So I, it's just such a complicated situation. I hope some of that made sense, but you know what I mean? Like I just, yes. I, I get why they're trying and I do think that they care, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know what anybody is supposed to be doing. 
No, for sure. And I, I think the other thing too is like, I mean, Adam Silver has such an insane amount of responsibility on his shoulders right now. I don't envy that man one iota. And I mean, credit to Adam Silver. He has handled a lot of really hard situations really well. And, you know, and, and you know, some of them have been kind of softballs. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, he did the right thing in this obvious. Like, oh, yeah, he, you know, he helped get Donald Sterling out of there. Like, yeah. But, like, this one is, like, the type of decision that it feels like presidents make. Because this is real life and death. And it's, like, real jobs, economy stuff. Like, it's, this one's a big one. The thing that I think makes the most sense is going to the players as commissioner. Like if you're trying to keep people safe and balance, like keeping people safe and opening the economy, you go to the players and you lay it out for them. Like, look, there's going to be so much money, less money available for you guys. If we don't restart, we need this to like help salvage basketball related income, which is directly tied to the salary cap, which is how much money you guys make. You need this. And we need this. We both need this. You go to them and you tell them that. And then you say, I know it sucks but we need to do a bubble. Like we need to do a real bubble where if you want to bring your family in fine, everybody's getting tested and then they can't go anywhere and you can't go anywhere. And we got this big campus for you. We've got Walt Disney world. You know, I know, I know it's not perfect, but like at least you're not locked in a hotel room with your family for like two months or however long your team's in the playoffs. That to me makes the most sense. Cause then you're laying it out for them and saying there is risk. It's kind of up to you guys. Like we need to get this going. Like, but this is where things are at. The problem being that players are not a monolith. Not everybody's going to agree. And it's like, if, you know, the players all vote on something, you know, the dissenting votes m- might be something that throws the entire, uh, the entire vote out of whack. So it's, it's, I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, usually like you take a vote and it's like, okay, I'm like majority rules. The dissenters have to just suck it up and like do whatever. But like in this situation, you can't ask them to, Yeah, they don't want to, like <laughs> they have every right to not. So I am fascinated to see how this plays out. It does seem like the NBA is ahead compared to where other leagues are so i do think if it follows the timeline that they've laid out they will be the first ones back which was one of their goals yeah like okay at what expense it's funny too because it feels like there are ways to keep it pretty safe like i mean i know we just talked all this doom and gloom but it's so bizarre that like only a few people got coronavirus from playing against rudy gobert like it's it's just bizarre this disease is weird i mean Right, like you would think that the entire jazz locker room would have it. Yeah. Because yeah, they share exactly. bathrooms, locker rooms, practice, well, and you would all think that, that stuff. every single and person who ran into Gobert trying to navigate a screen would have it. Like Especially because they didn't even know at that point. Yeah. So they weren't taking really any of the precautions. Yeah, I don't know. It's But don't it's, worry, they were keeping reporters six feet away from those <laughs> players, so they were fine. <laughs> Obviously, being away from your family sucks, but I do wonder whether they should just be like, we're doing this, and really, to establish the safest environment, it should just be the players. Like, I mean, that would, that would be the safest environment. It really yeah. is. Like, I don't think you can argue against that. Again, like, not everybody can, is able to go away from their families for that period of time, so I get why they might need to have families, but I, I wonder whether they should do that more on a case-by-case basis as opposed to like, yeah, everybody bring your families. Because obviously if you have that, nobody's going to be like, no, you should stay home. Actually, yeah. some people might for health reasons now that I think about <laughs> yeah, it. That's- but you know what I mean? Like, I feel like they should have the standard actually be, please don't bring your families unless you like, which again, could lead to some awkward conversations. But I do think that like the less people they can bring down there, the better, which is why I'm kind of surprised that media people seem to assume that, yeah, we're going. 
I don't, I don't even know if like we should talk about that because we like don't want to like you know get in trouble with the pbwa or something like that but that is it is weird to see media people just being like oh yeah well we'll see you in disney i've had a bunch of people text me like hey it looks like i'll see you in disney and i'm just like right will we like, that's okay. sort of shocking to me because like any additional person no matter who they are is a risk yes whether it's a media member or a two-way player or whatever it is yeah i fully anticipate we'll get zoom calls conference calls certain media i'm sure we'll get one-on-ones just sort of how it normally goes but it's just all gonna have to be conducted remotely or they're gonna be extremely selective with which media gets to go, which I feel like will raise more anger than just being like, sorry, no media. It feels like no media is the way to, to keep everybody everybody's feelings from being hurt. Or not even just feelings being hurt, just like fairness in terms of coverage and like that type of stuff. But <laughs> That's sort of what I meant. I meant like feelings being hurt and sort of the blanket, like <laughs> also then, yeah, fairness, yeah. Given that this would be the playoffs and how many media outlets would go, like the reporters are gonna outnumber the staff and players and yeah. like essential personnel. So I really don't think they're gonna just allow this whole contingent of media to come. To go back to one thing you said, just briefly, I, I will say too, I think part of the reason why they want families to be allowed to come along is because like, as somebody who has a family, if my team was in the playoffs and I was just like away from my family, I would wanna lose. Like legit, yeah. I would just be like, I wanna go home. You know, I mean, a lot of these guys are at the age where they have young kids, where they have babies, you know, just toddlers. Like, and I, I can just speak from experience. Every time that you're away from home and you're away from your baby, you're away from your toddler, you feel like you're missing really important moments that you will never get back. And like, before I get yelled at, I know like what a place of privilege I am coming from. And especially NBA players are coming from in that, that we get to spend all this time with our kids that we're not, you know, like everybody else, like, you know, working 70 hour weeks and, and stuff like that. Like, I get that. I get that we're, that, that, that we're super privileged for that, but that doesn't change the fact that like, it's like you, like if you're a player and you're away from your family like that and you're locked in this little bubble and you just want to go see your family, like. Thinking about like Jason Tatum and Deuce, for example, that is going to be very difficult and not going to fly, but I, maybe that can be one of the exceptions, but like <laughs> you have to cut down the numbers somehow. That's the thing. You have to cut down the number. And like, that's going to be uncomfortable. You know how you know it's going to be uncomfortable is because we're kind of uncomfortable talking about it. Like we're right. like trying to beat around the bush because we don't have to make those decisions. Okay. So do you think that end of July it's happening or do you think they're oh, going to have yeah. to push it back? Okay. You think oh, it's... Yeah. I just think there's way too much money at stake for this not to happen. Like we live in America. There's money behind something. Yeah. It's a runaway train. How about you? Unless something drastically changes with the coronavirus numbers, I agree. Yeah. It's going to be insane. I, this is when you know money is the fueling reason is that they're going to do all 30 teams. Yeah. It's like, yeah. okay, you want to talk about cutting down numbers? Just freaking do the playoffs. Yeah. And, and I get why they aren't. We're no, talking millions, exactly. multi-millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. Exactly. Like, if that's your primary focus, that's going to be the thing that you do. So. so. On that note, uh, we will take a short break and uh, hear from our sponsors. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7, or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And live right now on BetOnline's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper 
Horace Grant, Phil Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Bet on, visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. All right, so moving along in the Celtics internet, mm-hmm. Jason Tatum has been working on his golf swing. So Jason Tatum's already in Orlando, actually. So he is ready, not because he's like eagerly awaiting the NBA to also <laughs> arrive in Orlando. He's already but... in the bubble. He's brought Deuce <laughs> into the bubble and he's like, look, yeah. if you're going <laughs> to, if you want me to be in this, this boy is coming. <laughs> so he's already there. He chose to relocate. Hey, shout there. out to Tatum, man. What a good dad. I respect that guy. <laughs> he already relocated there before, but he has been working on his golf swing. Have you seen any of those videos? I have not seen the Jason Tatum golf swing. So it's actually, again, I am, of course, like not a qualified person to assess someone's golf swing, but it doesn't look bad to me. Okay. Um, yeah, just describe it here. What, what does it look like? Like, it's very smooth. The only, you know how people always make fun of Charles Barkley for having like sort of a hitch in his golf swing? Like he can't get one fluid motion. Yeah. Like he's got the motion down. The only thing is sometimes I think his clubs look a little too short like he's a yeah. little hunched over which makes sense because finding clubs for like a six foot seven dude or however tall he is is a difficult task i would imagine yeah but no it looks pretty good and he's put up shots of him on the driving range he's put up shots of him out in the actual course it's sunny in orlando so he's just wearing a tank top seems to be having a good time still really needs a haircut but he and he's documenting it too so he's like working on my swing again today like i'm enjoying watching his process there i wonder if like michael jordan or danny or somebody inspired him or whether he's just like you know what i'm gonna golf because that's the only thing that's open now i mean it's interesting like these guys are all such obscene athletes and it but and it's not just like they can run fast and and, like jump high it's like i mean steph curry obviously is is known as like you know one of the best golfers in the nba and and it just kind of makes sense because his like spatial awareness is so precise and i feel like tatum is probably the same way and i mean it's funny too because it's like back in July we were in Vegas and we were at the uh, Top Golf. Oh yeah, that's and, fun. Uh, yeah, we were we were golfing a couple of uh, you know a couple holes down from Mo Bamba, and it was funny watching him because like Top Golf does not have golf clubs that are built for somebody Mo Bamba size, but he's just like ripping these golf balls, and I'm I'm an abysmal golfer. I'm truly embarrassingly bad, and you know it's it's a big moment for me when I hit a drive and it goes like in the air off the tee but like Mobamba, who was not like an expert golfer was just out there just like mashing these things like 300 yards of bombs <laughs> he's just crushing them using a club um, that was again way too small for him yet he still could just like bomb it yeah so for as much as as you might laugh at, at, at golf thinking of it as an athletic thing spatial awareness and like hand-eye coordination is athleticism it involves yeah like timing yep swing of your hips things like that Um, stuff that doesn't come naturally to everyone yeah okay um let's see well i'm gonna plug my story now tom yes please do so today we're recording this on saturday is the last day of ramadan which is a 30-day period of fasting and also like reflection and community for muslims and on the celtics there are actually two practicing muslims Taco Fall and Ennis, but then Jalen Brown also observes Ramadan. And then this year, Celtics Director of Player Development, Allison Feaster, as well as Assistant Coach Jay Laranega, said that they would try it as well. 
sort of as a gesture in order to learn more about what these players go through. And they didn't last very long. Allison lasted three days and Jay lasted a weekend. But Jay said he'll still fast certain days. For a Muslim practicing Ramadan, they will wake up before sun the sun rises. That's like before 4 a.m. And they have to eat before the sun begins to rise because once the sun begins to rise, they have to do their first prayer of the day. So once that starts, then they can't eat as long as the sun's out. So they'll go back to bed. They'll do their two other like midday afternoon prayers. And then the last prayers as the sun sets. And so they'll pray as the sun sets. And then once that's done, they can eat this big meal. So Jay did not wake up at like 4 a.m. to down a bunch of food. But still on some days, he will just wake up and not eat until the sun sets as a way to remind himself what Taco is going through. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that angle because he was like, as a coach, and some of the stuff I couldn't include in the story because the focus wasn't Jay Laranega trying yeah. Ramadan for the first time. But as a coach, he was like, you expect somebody to give 100% all the time, but like you need to understand where they're coming from in terms of their energy level. Sure. And so that's why he does it. And I really like this quote, and this is the quote that I included in the story was, I think every person feels a need to be kind of understood and empathize with their situation, whether that's physical, psychological, or emotional. I think that's just part of being a team and having a good working relationship with people is being able to put yourself in their shoes. Obviously, like their coaches, like they should have that awareness, but for them to actually do it, it just really like warmed my heart. For sure. I think Larinaga is the type of coach that connects with players a lot in that way. The conversations that I've had with him, it's been pretty clear to me that the, the, the players actually really matter to him. Like it's not, I think this is true of actually for a lot of the Celtics assistants. So maybe, maybe it's more true league wide. And I think Larinaga has done a really good job of developing like really personal relationships with the players that he works with. Like he also works with Jason Tatum. He also works with Marcus Smart and he mentioned, yeah. so I asked him like, so you were trying this, like what other types of things have you done in the past maybe to connect with a player more and that summer that Marcus dropped a ton of weight and that they were working out the whole summer he said he remembers when he came back and Al Horford was like damn Jay what did you do this summer <laughs> and it was he went through the workouts with Marcus and yeah. of course not everybody has not every assistant coach has the ability to do that maybe based on their health or their age and things like that but he no it's like he doesn't just tell players to do stuff or like not that that method doesn't work too, but you know what I mean? Like he really just like goes, dives in and like tries to connect with those players on that level. And I think it really pays off. And I think it helps too. Like he's able to connect with some of these players because he was a player, you know, he, go, yeah. he, gets in, he gets into some of these shooting competitions with Jason Tatum. And like, I remember one time I was supposed to do an interview with him and he was so engrossed in this competition with Tatum that when I finally sat down with him, I'm like, Tom, I'm so sorry. I completely forgot that I was supposed to talk to you. It had been like, it had been like 35 minutes that I was just standing here watching this competition. And he was just like, the whole time he was trying to talk to me, he was just pissed that he lost yeah. this competition to Tatum because he thought he should have won. But so he, you know, he yeah. definitely has like a perspective of like knowing players because he was one, but the long and the short of it being uh, that is, it's cool that he, uh, that he practiced Ramadan. It's a tough thing. Like the thing is, is you can't drink water. It's not just the food. Mm. And that's what Taco said. He was like, I feel like whenever you tell people here, like, oh, I'm fasting, they're like, oh, but you can drink water. And he's like, no, you can't drink water. So I was trying to think, Allison going into it told me she thought she could last the full 30 days, which is bold, but they're all competitors. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. But I feel like I could last like two days. Like, I feel like they lasted the amount, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how long do you think you could last? 
I mean, the water thing would be really hard. Yeah. Um, so basically you can't eat as long as the sun's out. So yesterday for taco, it was 4 a.m. to 8 p.m. That's really hard. I, I think I could probably do a few days, but I will say one of the things that I really, I think Ramadan just like, it, it's a really cool thing because part of it is like mindfulness, right? Like thinking like prayers and that kind of thing. And like, not, not to get too into this, like I'm Christian and I, I wish that the Christian religion had more stuff that encouraged mindfulness. I think especially in like, you know, the modern era, like there, there's nothing that really just makes you like sit down and like be in a moment and be mindful and like think. And I, uh, I, I really admire that about, I, I think that's like, that's such a cool thing about Ramadan that it, that it does, it reminds you of like prayer and being present in, you know, in a moment in that way. So they have five daily prayers, but in addition to the prayers, which Taco said that this is one of the first years where he really hasn't missed a prayer, like he's been really disciplined and you can feel that, they're supposed to like curb negative thoughts, be just more conscientious of their like negative behavior. So you're not supposed to gossip. You're not supposed to complain. Like Taco said, he's really cut back on how much he checks social media and even tried to limit how much he listens to music with explicit lyrics. So it's really supposed to be like a period of reflection and things like that. And so also typically it's like a period of community. Like you go to the mosque together, you eat iftar, which is when you break the fast, that's what the meal is called. But obviously the pandemic has sort of changed that. So it's kind of nice that they have each other. And Taco actually went to Jalen's house for an iftar once because they're both mm. in Boston. So oh, that's cool. that was nice. But yeah, it was really cool to learn about it. It like sort of inspired me like maybe I should just try it. Yeah, that's really cool. And obviously, you know, everybody make sure you go check out Nicole's story. We will leave it there. We are going to try something a little new today. If you have made it this far, we appreciate you immensely if you make it this far leave us a rating and a review on itunes and then tweet at nicole c yang and at tom underscore nba the avocado emoji tweet that at me and nicole and we'll enter you to win a jason tatum bobblehead we'll dm you details if you win um we'll do a drawing you have a week to do it so you have until next monday to get your tweets in if you are writing a review work the word avocado into it for this one and maybe you'll get an extra entry that's a solid point. If you could find a natural way to work the word avocado in, we'll enter you twice. It's really appreciated if you did make it this far. Obviously, the pandemic is a tough time to start a podcast. I mean, it's in general, it's hard to start a podcast. So we really appreciate everybody that has been listening. Um, it's meant a lot. It does. Yeah, it genuinely does. Thank you guys very much for listening. So we will catch you all on Thursday. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.